the lamb. When we think about a lamb, typically this white woolly little animal comes to mind, unless it's getting close to dinner time, and then we think about that which is on a plate with mint jelly, amen? But if you were to ask an Israelite back in the day, this animal, this lamb would be seen as an animal for sacrifice. Specifically, they would think of a Passover lamb. And today, as we come to our passage of Scripture, we're going to look at Jesus and the disciples who are celebrating Passover. Now, what we'll see here is that we won't see a lamb on the table, but rather we will see a lamb at the table. Amen? Now, what do you mean by that, Pastor? There's going to be a lamb at the table instead of on the table at Passover. Well, let's just see. Let's just see. And let's walk away with revived hearts, remembering the great sacrifice of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, I want to read for us today from the book of Mark again, verse four, chapter 14, verses 12 through 26. And in honor and reverence to the Word of God, if you'd please stand as I read this passage for us this morning. Mark 14, starting at verse 12, going through verse 26. Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? And he sent out two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. Wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And then he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared there make ready for us. And so his disciples went out and came into the city, found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. In the evening, he came with the 12. Now, as they sat and ate, Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say to him one by one, is it I? And another said, is it I? And he answered and said to them, it is one of the 12 who dips with me in the dish. And the son of man indeed goes just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he'd never been born. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them and said, take, eat, this is my body. He took the cup when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out of the Mount of Olives. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the reading of the word of God. Lord, we thank you for the sacrifice of the Passover lamb who was the once for all sacrifice made for us. Lord, may you illuminate the scriptures to our hearts. May, our, may we be vulnerable and ready to, in receiving the word of God today as the spirit has the freedom to move in our hearts. We pray, Lord, that you would have the freedom all over this place today to speak to us in powerful ways that we'd be open and receptive to what we need to hear and understand from you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would guide and direct everything that's said here as we break the bread of life together. And, Father, we pray that if there are those here today that don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their lives, that this would be that hour of salvation. But also, Father, for those of us who do know you as Lord and Savior, may it be a time of refreshing and renewal of our hearts 
And we pray, Lord, that we'll walk away truly with revived hearts and remember the great sacrifice that our Savior has made for us. And so, Lord, may you have your way. For, Lord, we are in desperate need of you in our nation, and we're in desperate need of you in our community, and we're in desperate need of you in our church, and we are in desperate need of you individually as people. Lord, may the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, you see the outline for today's message in the bulletin. The first thing that we see here is the lamb's business. The lamb's business. It's the first day of unleavened bread. It's the Passover here that we see in the scripture. The Passover is a once a year feast and a celebration celebrating God's deliverance of his people from Egypt at the Exodus. And this is the time of year. Of course, recall that this is also the week of the crucifixion. The crucifixion is the next day. It is upon Jesus. It is right here. And so it is time to take the Passover, time to celebrate the Passover. And so it's time to prepare for the Passover. And so the disciples ask in verse 12, uh, they say, where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? And then Jesus replies in verses 13 through verse 16, these words, he says, go into the city and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water, which was unusual for a man in that day to be carrying a pitcher of water. He says, follow him. Wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And then he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared there make ready for us. And so his disciples went out, they came into the city and they found it just as he had said to them and they prepared the Passover. As we look at this passage of scripture, we have to pull away and look and see that Jesus really was prepared for this day. As a matter of fact, as you look at those verses there, verses 13 through 16, it seems that Jesus has made some prearrangements with someone to be ready for this upper room and the Passover. Or it's very possible that he didn't make prearrangements, but that he just supernaturally knew who to point the disciples to and that they would be able to find this room as he followed their instructions. Or it could be a culmination of both. Whatever the case may be, friends, the truth is that Jesus is prepared. This is a major event, this Passover feast, even more so than what the disciples recognize. As a matter of fact, in Luke's account of this passage of scripture, in Luke 22, verse 15, it tells us that Jesus says, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. With a fervent desire, with a earnest desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Why? Why is that? And why this Passover? Well, here's the reason. After thousands of years of the Passover being celebrated, this Passover marks the culmination of the Passovers. This Passover is where the fulfillment of all the Passovers will finally take place. Well, you're talking a lot about the Passover, Pastor, but we don't really know what the Passover is. Well, let's just 
push the pause button here and think about what is the Passover. Well, if you remember the story of the children of Israel and how they came to Egypt when Joseph brought his father, brothers, and friends, uh, and family, rather, all back uh, in that day, thousands of years before this. And they increased and they increased over the years and to the point where there were over 600,000 Israelites, the scripture says, even plus them, plus women and children. So it could have been as many as a million Israelites in Egypt. And they came under great bondage under the pharaohs who did not know Joseph. There was no hope for them and they were oppressed. And so God calls out a man by the name of Moses in the wilderness and says, I want you to go to Egypt and I want you to get my children. And so Moses, after debating with God, goes to Egypt and he goes to Pharaoh and he says to Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, oh no, they're not going. That's what happens. As a matter of fact, since God has sent Moses, then the plagues begin and God sends plagues to to show that he's in control and what have you. And and, uh, these plagues take place and Pharaoh hardens his heart and he still does not let the children of Israel go. And then on the 10th plague, God says that there will be a death of the firstborn in every household, every family, every, per, every home, and every animal, the firstborn will die. And he says that on the night when death is to come, he gives them these instructions to the children of Israel. They're instructed that they are to take a lamb without defect, without blemish, without spot, and they are to kill this lamb. And then they're to take the lamb's blood and put it in a basin And then they're to take hyssop, the plant of hyssop, and they're to take, dip the hyssop in the basin of the, of the blood of the lamb, and they're to go out and put it on the doorpost of their door going into their house, and on the lintel, that which is above the door, and the doorpost again on this side, so that's all around that door. And so they they do that so that when the Lord comes through, he sees the blood, he will then pass over that home. So if there's no blood on the doorpost and on the lintel, then there would be death that would come to the firstborn. But if there is blood on that door, that means that there is an innocent lamb that died and the Lord then passes over. So this all takes place. Death indeed comes. God keeps his promise. And as death comes to the firstborn of the people of Egypt, Pharaoh then says, okay, go, get out of here. And so we see the exodus takes place. That's it in a nutshell of the Passover. But every year, the Israelites were to celebrate, to remember God's deliverance from bondage of his people. God's people were to do that every year, once a year, at this time of the year, to celebrate and remember how God brought them out of bondage. And so why now, some thousands of years later, is this one here a big deal for Jesus? It's because Jesus is to become the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what's happening here. If you remember, John spoke, John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus at the beginning uh, of Jesus' ministry, he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now he is going to become that Lamb this very next day. Jesus is the Passover Lamb. As a matter of fact, Jesus knows the cross is before him. He has always known that the cross was before him. The cross has loomed before him at every moment. 
Jesus has known very clearly the plan. Jesus has known the blueprint. Jesus has known the business, what it was he was supposed to do. He knew perfectly the where, the when, and the whom. And as we see him knowing all these things, how do we find the Lamb of God? What do we see in him? We see Jesus is completely abandoned to the will of God the Father. We see that he is absolutely yielded to the plan of God. He is in, and he himself is in complete control of every detail. He is prepared and is being prepared for this plan to unfold. You see, this plan has been in place before the foundation of the world. Jesus, the sinless, perfect, unblemished sacrifice becomes our Passover lamb once for all. Let's look at a couple of scriptures, shall we? First Peter chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. Here Peter is talking about how we were redeemed, and he says in verse 19, with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifested in these last times for you. Jesus is that lamb without spot, and this has all been foreordained since before the foundation of the world. Jesus has known the cross was coming, and here he is prepared and yielded and complete control of every detail. But not only that, we see in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12, it says, Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. This is it. Jesus is about being the Lamb of God. Jesus is about doing the Lamb's business. He is being our perfect sacrifice for sin so that death would pass over us. He is the Passover Lamb. And we find him steadfast. We find him staying true. We find him abandoned to the cross, fulfilling the plan to rescue us from sin's power and sin's penalty. I was reading a story this week in preparation for today, and I came across a story about, it was in the National Geographic years ago, where there had been a forest fire at Yellowstone. And some rangers, after the fire had gone out, the rangers were taking a trek up to survey the damage. And one of the rangers on his journey up the hill, he found a a dead bird at the base of a tree, uh, petrified, of course, covered in ashes. And so he just simply took a stick to move that dead bird whose wings was outstretched. And he took the stick to move it. And when he did, three tiny chicks scurried out from underneath the mother bird. She had given her life, being steadfast, abandoned to that moment. Even when the flames licked her feathers, she was abandoned to that very moment for the life of her children. Friends, oh, how our Savior has done this for us, amen? How he has yielded and was yielded in complete surrender to endure the cross, giving his life for the love of his children. Friends, he is our Passover lamb. In our passage, we see that Jesus yielded to be about the Father's business, staying true and being steadfast. How about you? 
You've been created for such a time as this. You are where you are by his perfect plan and design. We see the example of the loving obedience of the lamb staying on the path of God's perfect will, no matter what that looked like. And he knew the cross was before him. Friends, are we being obedient to what God has called and made you to be? No matter what. Jesus was in control then, and guess what? He's still in control. Amen? He was in control then. He's still in control, so we can trust him, we can obey him, and we can follow him. We see the lamb's business. We also see the lamb's betrayal. So we find in this passage that the Passover is continuing. And Jesus says this in verses 17 and in verse 18. He says, In the evening, he came with the 12. Now, as they sat and ate, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. What a a bombshell that is at this moment among these disciples. It's a bombshell for 11 of them. One of them knew deep within his heart what was going to take place besides Jesus. It's Judas, but Jesus knows who it is. As a matter of fact, in verse 20, he says, it is one of the 12 who dips with me in the dish. He knows exactly who it is and what's to take place here. Judas is about to betray Jesus, and the word betray itself means to sell him down the river, to give him over to the chief priests and the scribes. He is going to betray Jesus. You see, Judas is consumed with himself. Judas is selfish and he is greedy and he thinks about his status and about money. And he will betray his friendship with Jesus and Jesus knows it. But Jesus gives him an opportunity to repent. Say, well now, where do you see that, Pastor? Well, Between verses 17 and 18 is where John 13 takes place of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. You remember that story. Jesus, knowing all things, knew perfectly what was happening. He knew where he was going, knowing that he was going to the Father. But he knew perfectly the heart of Judas here as well as the disciples are in this upper room. The Bible tells us in John chapter 13 that Jesus takes a pan of water and a towel and girds himself and he goes over to the disciples and he stoops down. He pours water in the basin and he washes the disciples' feet. Notice he washes each and every one of the disciples' feet, Judas being one of them. And in verse 10 of John 13, we read Jesus saying this, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. You see, Jesus knew Judas's heart and is appealing for repentance, even in this act. But also, he is appealing for Judas to change his heart and change his mind in this act of servant love for him. But also, we see in our passage in Mark 14 and verse 21 that Jesus also issues a warning. Well, where do you see that? Well, let's look at verse 21. It tells us here that Jesus says, The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him which shows the sovereignty of God that he is fulfilling the plan. He is going just as it is written of him, that which has been prophesied, it is going to take place. But then he says, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. 
It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. We see in that that there's a responsibility of Judas here. The free will that Judas has. Woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is being betrayed. Because Judas was choosing to betray Jesus. He was also rejecting Jesus as the Messiah. So he chose not to believe that Jesus is who he said he was. He chose not to repent and therefore he was lost. And Jesus says, woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. We say, wow, that is harsh for Jesus to say that about Judas. What did he mean by that? Why did he say that? Why did he say it had been better or it had been good for that man if he'd never been born? It's because now, because of Judas's rejection and not repenting and not believing, there is a terrible destiny that awaits him. Hell is ahead for him. You see, friends, here's the thing. Jesus believed in a literal hell. Where fire is not quenched, with separation from holy God, and there's darkness forever. Some people today in our culture say, well, we don't really believe in God. They believe that God would send people to hell. Oh, really? Then why did he send Jesus to die for us? Amen? He believed in a hell. Jesus talked about hell. Hell is a real place. And Jesus came, listen, to save us from that hell. And to reconcile us to the Father. But Judas would choose betrayal instead of repentance. You know, as you think about that and think about that Jesus knows the cross is before him. He knows that Judas is about to betray him. It's amazing to see the appeal of God, isn't it? It's amazing to see the love of God, the desire of God for this one to turn to him and to come in repentance. Now understand that Jesus still would have gone to the cross no matter what. It was the plan of God. But Judas could still repent. Listen to what the Lord says in Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse 11. The Lord speaks and says, say to them, As I live, says the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. For why should you die, O house of Israel? Friends, listen. That is the heart of God. To repent and to turn. He knows the heart. He knows Judas's heart. And you want to know something? He knows your heart. And he knows my heart. The question is, is he calling you to repent? Is he calling you to turn back to him? Oh, hear his heart for you and understand the warning to turn and to live. Friend, as if you were traveling along and you saw a sign, a road sign warning you, danger ahead, but you kept going anyway and you saw a sign that said the bridge is out and you kept going anyway and you saw the sign turn around and you kept on going, how foolish that would be, amen? So here is the warning that we have from the Lord. He says, turn 
and live. Repent and come to Jesus because he is life. And to stay on that path without him, it leads to destruction. Oh, friend, turn and live. Amen? Turn and live. He is the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. We see the lamb's business. We see the lamb's betrayal. But then we also see the lamb's banquet. During the Passover meal, there were certain things that were always done and always said at the Passover meal. Well, here Jesus deviates from the script and he breaks bread and he gives them the bread, this unleavened bread. He breaks it and gives it to them and he says, take, this is my body. And he takes the cup and he gives thanks for the cup and he passes the cup around. Now, they didn't have like what we have today. They had one cup. They didn't evidently worry about germs among the disciples, amen? But they took that cup and they passed it among themselves. And as the cup was being passed, it was, Jesus said, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. So Jesus here in this instituting of the Lord's Supper, he was pointing to himself as the sacrificial lamb of God. He institutes the Lord's Supper to point them to what is about to take place on the cross so that we would remember and never forget. Amen? That's the purpose. So that we will remember And never forget. As Jesus will go to the cross the next day, he would fulfill the old covenant and he would establish the new covenant. As Jesus now goes to the cross, watch, the Passover is fulfilled. As Jesus goes to the cross, the sacrifices that have been taking place in the temple, those are not needed anymore. He is our perfect sacrifice once and for all. We will not slaughter bulls and lambs here at the church here at the altar because our lamb has already been slain on Calvary's cross. Amen. It has been done. He is the fulfillment of that. He is our sacrifice. He is the innocent one giving his life for the guilty. And we were the guilty. The Lord's Supper is to be taken so that we will remember and never forget. The children of Israel were to celebrate the Passover to remember deliverance from Egypt from bondage. As believers and as disciples of Jesus, we take the Lord's Supper to remember our deliverance from the bondage of sin and hell and death. And that we have been freed from that. The death, listen friends, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross as a sacrificial lamb of God must never ever get old to us and we need fresh reminders. And so we take the Lord's Supper. Now, let's think about something here if you will. In that day of sacrifices, back in that day, the lamb's would die for the sins of the nation. Inside the temple, two lambs died every day, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. And when the lambs died, when they were sacrificed, literally when they were, their, their throats were slit, when the lamb died, 
there would be a sound that would come from the temple. It was the sound of the ram's horn. The shafar would sound throughout Jerusalem. I think we might have that sound if we could hear it today. Yes. And when people would hear that sound, they would know, even if they had not witnessed the slaying, the sacrifice of the lamb, they would know at hearing that sound that a lamb had just died for the sins of the people. In that day, under the old commandment, or the old covenant rather, God demanded animal sacrifices for sin to cover the sin. That sacrifice was not sufficient. It was not complete satisfaction for a payment for sin. And so over and over and over, day after day after day, month after month, year after year, lambs were sacrificed and the ram's horn would blow. I wonder if we had lived back in that day, if hearing the ram's horn blow and knowing that the lambs were being sacrificed. I wonder if it ever became commonplace. People would be about their business and be in the middle of conversations and they would hear the ram's horn blow that a lamb had died for the sins of the nation and they would just continue their conversations with people. Oh yeah, that's, that's just that, the horn being blown today. Did it ever become, I wonder if it's just no big deal and, and oh yeah, that's just the lamb that just died. Maybe that's why the Passover was so important. Every family would have a lamb for the Passover. Now, most didn't have sheep, so they would depend on shepherds to bring lambs to Jerusalem every spring. And few days before Passover, each family then would need to purchase a lamb if they didn't already have one, a spotless lamb without any defect at all. So the father of the home would go and he would bargain with the shepherds and he would purchase this lamb and the family then would take this little lamb home. And they would house the lamb in their home. They would, this little lamb would have to live with the family for four days before the Passover, before this sacrifice took place. The lamb needed to be with the family for four days. And you can imagine if you've got a lamb in your home for four days... Children would pet the lamb. The mothers would feed the lamb. Everyone would hear the lamb bleating and would indeed smell the lamb. It would become a part of their home and in their family for those four days. Some would try to ignore the lamb in their home because after all, this lamb was a condemned creature. But it'd be impossible. The lamb would be in their midst. And then on that appointed day, that lamb would be sacrificed. That innocent lamb, the lamb that had been in their midst, the gentle lamb without any defects, the perfect lamb would die. And I suspect many tears were shed over that little lamb's sacrifice 
Can I ask you a question this morning? When was the last time that you shed tears over the lamb that was slain for you? Tears of realizing the sacrifice that has been made on your behalf to not cover your sin, but to cleanse your sin. Tears of gratefulness for God's love for us. When was the last time we shed tears over the Lamb? Has his once-for-all death become so humdrum and so commonplace that now it's just a great big yawn? Friends, Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper so that we will remember his sacrifice for us. But also, as we look at this passage in Mark 14, we see that it's also a time of hope because of what he did. Because of the cross of Calvary and because of the empty tomb, we know that there is hope. Amen? And so Jesus knows all this as he sees the cross before him. Look at verse 25 also. He says, Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Matthew's account says that he adds, I will drink it with you on that day. You see, Jesus is saying, look, it may seem like it's over. It's not. We will be together again. I will be victorious and we will fellowship together in that day. Amen. Glory. And even we see in verse 26, the practice of the Passover was to sing some of the Psalms as a hymn. And it says in verse 26 that when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. They sang a hymn. Jesus sang a hymn as the cross is looming before him but he knows there's hope and he knows he's the lamb and he knows the results oh what a savior amen oh what a savior now real quick let's just go back to the Passover let's go back to that first Passover Let's travel back thousands of years, shall we, to Egypt. And we're standing there at the edge of the border and we're seeing people who are beginning to flood out of Egypt. And we grab one or two of them and we want to find out, okay, what's going on here? And so we imagine that we're there at the first Passover and if we stopped one of those Israelites in those days and we asked them, okay, who are you and what's happening with all these people here? And they would say to you this, I was a slave under a sentence of death But I took shelter under the blood of the lamb and I escaped the bondage. And now God, he lives in our midst and we're following him to the promised land. Friends, guess what? As God's people, people who believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we can say the very same thing. I was a slave under bondage. I was under the sentence of death but I took shelter under the blood of the lamb and I have escaped bondage and I have been set free and now God lives in me and I am following him until that day when I will be with him in the promised land. Amen. Amen? That is our story of what Jesus has done as the Passover lamb. He has sacrificed for us and given us hope. Now, There's a little thing at the bottom of your outline, to do. 
Three real quick things. One, be abandoned to the will of God. Be abandoned to the will of God, friends, whatever that looks like. Jesus was obedient. He was yielded. He was abandoned to the Father's will. Friends, let us follow his example. Be obedient and abandoned to God's will for us, whatever that looks like. Secondly, believe. Just believe. If you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, friends, turn and live. Turn from sin and turn to Jesus. It's a part of the step where we acknowledge that we're sinners in need of a Savior. And we turn from our sin and turn to Jesus, whom we are embracing, believing that he is God's son who died on the cross for our sin, paying our penalty, and rose again bodily from the grave, and we profess him as the Lord and Savior of our lives. It is a step of faith. Believe, taking that step, trusting him, believing him, turning from sin, turning to Jesus, one step of faith. And then see, come to the cross and never, ever forget his sacrifice. Amen? Come to the cross, friends. Let us come to the cross and know that he is there for us. For the love of the Father and for his love for us. Come to the cross and never forget his sacrifice. Father, we praise you and we thank you for this day. And Lord, as we are remembering about the Passover and this specific Passover, we are reminded that you love us and that you are our Passover lamb who has been sacrificed And that we're under the shelter of the blood of Jesus because of what you have done for us. Lord, I pray for those who don't know you as Lord and Savior and the very thought of what you have done for us. May the love of Christ be seen very clearly and vividly. And may you draw those to yourself who don't know you. But also, Father, I pray for those of us who have claimed the name of Jesus for a short time or a long time. That this morning as we have heard and been reminded about the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Lord, that you would remind us of the awesome sacrifice. And that it would burn within us a heart to obey you, to trust you, to follow you, and to cling to you in every area of our lives. So, Lord, will you be with us now as we come to our invitation? Those who need to make decisions of commitment, maybe those who need to make decisions of surrender, or maybe you're dealing with folks about transferring to Mount Pleasant, being a part of this church family, or someone who needs to be baptized if they've trusted you, but they've never followed through in obedience of baptism. Lord, all over this place, as you're working in the hearts and lives of people, I pray that we'd be open and receptive to what you're telling us and dealing with us about, and that we would surrender that to you and yield our hearts to you and be completely, absolutely abandoned to you and to your will. And so, Lord, may you have your way as we come to this time. If folks need to just come and pray silently or pray with Pastor Andy or pray with me, whatever you're doing, Father, may you work for your glory as we're reminded that we love you Lord Jesus and you love us so Father have your way in Jesus name
Amen. We're going to